All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. All right, for those of you who grew up in church and grew up in a traditional setting where they had the church fans, remember that? Remember that, like, you know, you had the 4th of July pictures or MLK or other things on it? You know what I mean? I bet you want it now, right? Back in the day, you were like, what are these church fans? But now you want it. All right, so this is good, and I'm so glad we could be with each other today. Um, for those of you I haven't met yet, my name is uh, Roland. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is good to worship together on a... Um, Sunday morning, and I celebrate and also honor your commitment to Jesus because as we speak, France is playing Croatia <laughs> in the World Cup finals. Anybody been watching the World Cup? Come on now, it's only every four years, only every four years, okay? And it's uh, what everybody in the rest of the world is doing. So I honor your commitment to <laughs> worship Jesus and uh, put Jesus ahead of even sports. We're in a sports town, and sometimes that can be a challenge, um, but we are going to honor God first and foremost in everything we do. Amen? All right, so with that in mind, we um, are going through and have been going through uh, a series over the course of the summer, and what we've been doing is we've been focusing over the course of the summer on missions. Because during the summer, you know, the pace changes, people have opportunities to get out and get about um, for vacationing, and some people, as they're vacationing, have taken time off to really serve God beyond their local environment and to see God advance his kingdom through their um, efforts and the opportunities that they're given in the mission field. And so um, we've been talking through the past several weeks and praying for people, um, just as an update, our uh, church plant in France, uh, Paris, France, is going well. Uh, thank you for um, praying for that. I uh, just met with our uh, church planter there um, after their outreach um, there this summer, and they were reaching not only native Parisians, um, but also reaching out to the refugee community um, that was there in France and um, believing God to see uh, many refugees from uh, Muslim and other backgrounds coming to the Lord. And so um, that is going well. Um, a lot of the uh, atheists are there. And we actually, because of that <clears throat> because of that mission trip that just took place this past month, uh, we have some people who are praying and considering relocating to join the church planters um, in Paris, France, so that it can be an ongoing and increasing work. And so thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for them. Um, this week we're um, going to be doing our first outreach in uh, Luxembourg, and it's um, actually a two-hour uh, two bullet train ride away from uh, Paris. So even as we have relationship in uh, Marseille, France, a church was started there years ago, which is thriving, bringing people to Jesus. Um, it actually serves um, not only uh, the uh, native French, but um, as it's on the coast, it actually serves serves a lot of uh, Northern Africa and immigrants from Northern Africa and the Muslim nations there. And so um, we're going to have our church planters there with us uh, at the beginning of August to give an update and minister to our congregation. But um, so we have relationship there in Marseille, France. We have our church plant going in Paris. And now we're going to start our outreach in Luxembourg two hours away. And you're all a part of that. You are all a part. Isn't that exciting? Okay, come on now. It's sort of like you think that sometimes you just show up and it's like, let's just go through the motions, lift our hands, pray a few prayers and sing a few songs. But you're actually being a part of the gospel advancing, not only in the city of Chicago, but as Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. Amen? Okay, so what we're doing is, is we're um, actually going through our series 
um, on missions, and we've called it the Macedonian Call. And if you've been with us the past several weeks, what it's been doing is it's been going through the book of Acts and actually highlighting the Macedonian Call in the midst of um, the apostles' Uh, during the early uh, inception of the church, they went through different regions. The gospel went first to the Jewish community. Uh, Jesus himself was Jewish, and he said the gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right? Everybody else. It comes first to the people of God, and it, the salvation of God comes to the natural-born people of God, and then it comes to everybody else, to the ends of the earth, right? And so by the time we got to Acts chapter 15, God was extending his kingdom to everybody else. And if you did not grow up in a Jewish community or a Jewish family, that means you. You are the recipients of the gospel going to the Gentiles. You and I are recipients of God's heart for the world. And we see him doing that with Paul and his traveling companions in a region called Macedonia. And so what we're doing today is we went through um, the track of them getting to Macedonia, but one of those cities in the region of Macedonia, as Cole highlighted a couple weeks ago, was a a city called Thessalonica. And it's not just enough that we know where they went, but we want to understand when they got there, what they preached what they preached, what was important, that as they were establishing the church of Jesus Christ in that place, what is it that was highlighted, and how was the church to respond to Jesus and live in the midst of a community that didn't necessarily honor him? And so we can obviously derive a lot from this because we're in the city of Chicago where we were reading a Gospel Coalition article the other day, and they estimate that in city centers, in city centers like Chicago, they estimate that 5%, 5% of the community is churched. 5% of the community is churched. Not exposed to the gospel, but actually churched, meaning that they have ongoing, intentional, regular relationship and fellowship with the people of God, worshiping. These are statistics that have been done like, by things like Lifeway Ministries. Many of you have heard of Lifeway Ministries or Ed Stetzer, who's actually the itinerant pastor right now at uh, Moody, uh, Moody Church down the street. And in Chicago, they estimate that it's 3%. In Chicago, they estimated that it's 3%. So estimating that in a 2.7 million person downtown area, 9.8 million in the Chicago land area, you can imagine 3% actually being church. And you could probably imagine some of your coworkers or some of your friends or um, some of the people that you have in your neighborhood being part of this statistic. So whenever we're looking at Thessalonians, it's a great encouragement to us in how to live because in Thessalonica, they were having to see the church of Jesus Christ not only be established, but be growing in the midst of a culture that didn't necessarily honor him as first and foremost. What were they to think like? What was their heart posture? What were they to do as they were giving themselves fully to the things of God? And so we're going to pick up in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians today as he's writing in the midst of this Macedonian call, and we're going to go through the book of Thessalonians, which was a letter that Paul wrote to the church, giving them instruction in how to live. And so if you have a Bible today, let's open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll begin there. If you're taking notes today, the Macedonian call is going to be divided up into just simply two parts, passion and perspective. Passion and perspective in the midst of living for God in a city that doesn't necessarily love or honor him as he's commanded us to. 
Okay? Let's read the Bible together. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. Open our hearts, open our eyes, help us understand, help us receive great encouragement and great faith as we live for you wholeheartedly in this place and see your kingdom mightily advance, mightily advance in this place. God, we're recipients of that gospel, and God, we're believing that it's going to continue to grow, increase, and multiply as your people love, serve, and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul Salvanus another name for Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. That's good news, right? Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you, For your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Sort of what we're talking about, right? It's not just that enough that the gospel comes um, and resides in your heart or in your life, but now it's spreading forth everywhere that people are turning to Jesus and participating in the salvation that he has for us. He says, so that you, we need not say anything. He says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Passion. So when we see this first and foremost, we have to understand that Paul only had about three weeks with the Thessalonians. When he was going from place to place, He was preaching the good news of Jesus in multiple cities, and when he received a good reception, he stayed for long periods of time ministering the gospel and inserting the kingdom of God culture into that place so that the churches of Jesus Christ could thrive and grow. However, in Thessalonica, because of persecution that came, they got driven out after three weeks. They went into the uh, synagogue each Sunday. I'm not Sunday, but Saturday. Sorry, Sunday for us, Saturday for them. The Sabbath day. And they were ministering the good news of Jesus in those synagogues. And people were coming to Jesus. But because of the persecution, they had to leave. But the good news is, is that whether short time or long, God's word can bear fruit. God's word can save lives. God's words can open eyes and turn people from darkness to light from death to life, and from the power of Satan to God. 
And in a three-week period of time, there was a church established in that place, but then Paul didn't get to say everything I'm sure that he wanted to say and had to go. And so in the midst of his leaving, he still maintained relationship with the people amongst whom he preached. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you constant instruction so that building on the foundation that was laid for you during that three-week period, you can be established in the grace of God and continue to grow. And these are what some of these letters, these epistles were about, specifically in this case to the Thessalonians. And one of the first things that God said through Paul to the church in Thessalonica is that they needed to have passion. He recognized and acknowledged and emulated the work of God in their lives. So many people in this city are passionate about things that will not endure. They're passionate about things and they give their strength to things that ultimately will not reward them eternally. We see people giving themselves ultimately to their careers, spending their time, their energy, all types of you know, resources just to advance, and then at the end of their days, sacrifice not only family members, but their own sanity and peace of mind just to get another dollar sign or another zero in their paycheck. And at the end of the day, they say, what was that for? That does not endure. That does not feed me as I thought it would. Not saying that hard work isn't important. We know that God speaks about diligence. We know that God's entrusted the earth to humanity and his people to cultivate the earth. That it might be beautiful and flourishing and God-fearing as he intended it to. But if you're going to make your career your end goal, you've missed it. If you're going to give yourself to things like sports or just pleasures, right? Pleasures, just going from one experience to another, trying to find the next new high. Inevitably, that's going to disappoint you, right? That's going to disappoint you. That's part of what brought me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I eventually hit a wall in my pleasure-seeking. I was a hedonist. Anybody hedonist before you start serving Jesus? I was a pleasure-seeking hedonist, yes. And I would go from party to party, you know, dance hall to dance hall, because we're Jamaican, right? Okay, so so like looking for the things of God. I mean, so looking for the things of the world because it could satisfy, but ultimately disappointed me, right? And God said, listen, I'm coming that you might have life and life to the fullest. That's what Jesus said. He said, there's a devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life, but I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Repent and believe the good news. Turn away from those things. Believe the good news. And But you've got to, whenever you've got a life that's been rocked and changed by the gospel of God, there's a characteristic that's reticent in your life and in your heart. When you've really met Jesus, you will not just be a churchgoer. You will not just show up in seats. You will not just be one going through the motions because a spouse or a friend is dragging you there Sunday after Sunday, and you're just sitting in the heat. Let me tell you something. If you don't have a conviction in God, you will not make it in a Chicago church like this over the summer. The heat will drive you out, much less the preaching. You know, it's like, listen, you've got to have some conviction, right? That God is worthy of my sacrifice. God is worthy of my time. God is worthy of my affection. And that's what we see, the passion represented and commended by Paul about the Thessalonians in this chapter. Verse 3, verse 3, he said this. 
He says, we're always mentioning you in our prayers before our God and Father, acknowledging your work of faith, your work of faith, your work of faith, that when God's gotten a hold of me, he said, freely you've received from me, now freely give, right? Freely you've received of the grace of God, now give it away. Give it away. And so when you've actually found the pearl of great price, when you've actually met Jesus, the resurrected king, who comes to give life and life to the fullest, there's a work of faith that's produced in you. It doesn't matter if you see everybody in your workplace, in your neighborhood, or in your family serving the Lord yet. There's something that bubbles up inside of you that there's a work of faith that I say, God, this isn't just a word for me. It's for my family. It's for my, the world around me. It's for my neighborhood. It's for my friendship group. It's for the ends of the earth, right? Missions. He said, listen, there's a work of faith that's a result, a result of being rocked by God. He said, there's a labor of love, a labor of love. Let me tell you something. Assad and his team the tech team, the worship team, setting up a mobile sanctuary each week. The greeting team, thank you, Martina. You know, I mean, everybody who, the hospitality team setting things up, that is a labor of love. Where we're saying we're making a way for worship to take place to God. Why? Because we want to acknowledge him, we want to honor him, but we want others to come into his grace as well. When you're rocked by Jesus, there's something, a labor of love that comes about, right? Because there's something that's been birthed in you, and that life begets life. That life begets life. When you have kids, usually you want more. If it goes well, right? Meaning, meaning like you're holding the baby in your And I'm telling you, if you don't have kids yet, the, the, the changing diapers and the, the midnight feedings, it comes to an end at some point, okay? And then the joy that comes, the joy that comes from stewarding and nurturing a new life, you want to share it, Right? Or how about this? In adoption, there is the stewardship that comes from God. And it's sort of like a labor of love where you're like, my goodness, I want to share this with the world. This little child, you're like, well, you're like Rafiki holding up that baby. You know, right? (laughs) Start singing the circle of life. And it's like a labor of love comes out of you because there's life produced in you. This is what is an example of of being rocked by God. And it's also a steadfastness and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ that these Thessalonians, though they had great hope in the Lord, they were going to face persecution. They were going to face persecution for their faith. Not only was Paul and his traveling companions persecuted for the stance that they were taking in God, But the church that was left behind, having taken a stand for Jesus, was also facing the same persecution that drove them out. But he said that there's a steadfastness and hope. And though it costs me something, I still say it's worth it, right? How many of you remember actually being spoon-fed the gospel, but then getting to a place where it costs you something to love Jesus and to serve him? Okay, well, if not yet... It's coming, I promise, only because he does, right? Because he says anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be, not might be, but will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters go from bad and wor- to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving themselves, thinking they have something that they don't, right? Number two, deceiving others, thinking that you can live for Jesus without a cross. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have got to, not sometimes, but daily, deny yourself, pick up a cross, which was a place of death and sacrifice. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Without that, he said, you can't be my disciple. But there was a steadfastness and hope that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ, a hope full of the grace of God, a hope full of, I'm not going to be saved because of anything that I've done, but I'm going to be saved because of what he's done for me. And because of that, I can endure all things, right? Come hell or high water, come sacrifice, whether from my time, talent, or treasure, whether sacrifice in terms of having to stand on the conviction of God's when the world's telling me to do the same, right? And I'm talking about relevant issues today, the modern cultural issues today that you're having to make a choice and say, am I going to side with God and his ways or am I going to side with the world? Am I going to obey the commands of God, search out the scripture to see what he thinks about family, what he thinks about sexuality, what he thinks about, you know, the running of governments and all types of national and international issues, or am I going to just go through the motion? Somebody who's rocked by God takes the time to study and show themselves approved. And though it costs them something, they have a steadfastness and hope knowing that this life that we're living now is temporary and all the things that we're looking to are eternal. In Jesus and his resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ. So will it cost me something to live for God? Yes. Yes. But he says there's grace and peace to you in abundance. Grace and peace to you in abundance, right? Isn't that how he started? He said to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. You're able to stand on things like the fact that he said, Timothy Keller said this, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life, but a changed life comes in response to the salvation offered as a free gift. We're not trying to work our way to God. We're not trying to get it right right? That's why though he's passed away, if any of you remember Billy Graham, I mean, he always at his altar calls had, just as I am, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, go YouTube it. All right, so listen, he's talking about just as I am. The changed life comes in response to the gospel of God and not the other way around. But he's also talking about the fact that it's going to take what? It's going to take power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. The power of God the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Now, whenever we're talking about the power of God, the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, let me tell you something. That's how God wants to interact with his people. Through power, through the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Power. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, We know that just as he was the one who brought the world as we know it into existence by a spoken word, that same power is in him today to create, to lift up and tear down in your circumstances, in your situations, in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in the hearts, minds, and lives of those around you, in the government, in the the business, in the industry in which you find yourself. 
he says, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, right? The Holy Spirit, we've got to worship the Lord. He doesn't want just people who are going to worship him based on their own models or their own ideas of what it means to worship him. He said, listen, I've given you a game plan. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. I've already given you commands. He who loves me is the one who has my commands and obeys them, right? Which means that you've got to first have them to obey them. You've got to actually search the scripture out to know what he says. We've got to be students of the Bible to actually know what he says if we're going to actually serve him, not just in truth, right, which is coming from the word, but also by the Holy Spirit. Anything that the Holy Spirit leads you to do will be in agreement with that word that he's already spoken in the Holy Spirit and with what? Deep conviction. But where do you get that conviction from? You get that conviction through focus and what you feed on. Focus and what you feed on. How many of you have ever started a business in here? Anybody? Okay, how many of you have ever graduated? Okay, another one. Okay, how many people had to have a little conviction in your life to go to higher education? Right? You had to have some conviction because did anyone want to throw it off at some point? When you saw those bills coming... Did anyone say, I don't know if this is worth it? You had to have some deep conviction, right? In the same way, to actually persevere in the things of God, you've got to have focus and deep conviction. Why do I say this, especially over the summertime? If I'm going to establish conviction in my heart, I cannot use my free time just to feed on binge-watching Netflix, right? That's how most people try to relax, That's how most people, I'm not saying don't watch Netflix, but what I'm saying is don't use that as your only source of relaxation. Coming out and back into society more tired, more discouraged, more defiled, because the very thing that you thought was going to give you rest sucked the energy and the life of God right out of you. He said if you're going to establish conviction, you've got to have a focus and feed on something that's going to actually propel you into the things that God actually called you to be and do. What is it that he said to feed on? He said, feed on my word and I will not stop doing this. Get your purple book. If you don't know what this is, it's in the back. It's just a Bible study. If you've done it before, great. Do it again. I try to do this annually. Been preaching, I don't know, 20-something years, and it's like, listen, I try to do this annually just to remind me of the convictions that I'm standing on, that sin and salvation are non-negotiables, that lordship and obedience are the foundation of my faith, that repentance and baptism, that the Holy Spirit, the church, evangelism, generosity, these are all things in the heart of God that do not change. And I have conviction because I'm feeding on it continually. Everybody knows that in the wintertime, when it's about to shut down winter, everybody starts to cut back those carbs. Why? Because they want their beach body. So you feed on something different, right? Don't, don't be too holy. Like, look, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. Okay, listen. Listen. I've seen your fridge full of kale. Listen, the thing is, <laughs> if you want conviction, you've got to feed on the right thing. If you've not done this before, it is a great way to establish rhythms in your life with God. 
meaning a daily encounter, a daily study of his word, a daily going to him and understanding what he said. These things will produce passion in you. But then it also gives you perspective, perspective for everything that you find yourself going through. Verse 9 and 10, Paul, going back to the Thessalonians, he said, listen, we remember how you turn to God from idols. Verse 9 and 10. We remember how you turn to God from idols. You didn't just have passion. It wasn't just an arbitrary passion, but you actually turn from God, um, turn from one thing, which were idols, false gods, to another thing, the living and true God, right? Based on that conviction to the one true God and to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Oh, that's what we need to remind ourselves of sometimes, especially over the summer when people get all loosey-goosey with their holiness. You know what I'm talking about? Sort of like people take a break from their consecration to God. Hello, you know what I'm talking about. It's sort of like, well, uh, this is me time. I'm going to have a little drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it up, right? Get a little tipsy-tipsy, whipsy-whip, Right? Might have a little summer fling, but God will forgive me. Let me tell you something. What will keep you obedient and sometimes gut-wrenching obedience is conviction, according to his word, that there is a wrath to come. That's right, church. We believe in a wrath to come. We believe in a hell. Hello, modern church of 2018. There is a real hell. Hello. Okay, well, listen, I'm a, do I, I might just do a series on hell. <laughs> because there, this, is, this is part of the gospel. The point is, is that the gospel means good news. Why? Because he saved us from the wrath to come. The cross of Jesus Christ, he took the punishment and the penalty that we deserve on the cross, and grace is found primarily in the fact that we don't have to experience it because there was a substitution. There was a replacement that we don't have to experience the wrath to come because Jesus already did. But part of how we come into that is what he's talking about in terms of turning from idols. Turning from idols to the living God, right? You see that? To be able to receive the grace that Jesus has from us, we can't serve idols and Jesus at the same time. We've got to turn from one to serve the other. Turning from idols to serve him. Now, I realize that most of the people who um, showed up have so, at least some measure of a church experience, and I like how Timothy Keller defined idols. He said, an idol is something that we look to for things that only God can give. It is not just a statue that you bow down to. It's not just something that people worship in a foreign temple. It's things in our lives that we try to replace for God. 
He said, idolatry functions widely inside religious communities when doctrinal truth is elevated to the position of a false god. Now watch this. This is for the religious community. This occurs when people rely on the rightness of their doctrine for their standing with God rather than on God himself and his grace. Do you you understand what he's saying there? It's like I and my doctrine are the thing that are going to save me instead of Jesus and the work that he's already done for me. Now, we've already talked about the fact that it's important to have conviction according to the truth, according to his word, right? But we've been in religious circles where people have elevated their doctrine and replaced their doctrine with Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so all of a sudden, when we hear about people going into all the world and baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, instead they say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and my holy doctrine. You miss the person of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus who is meant to be the saving one. Another form of idolatry I'm sorry, it's a subtle but deadly mistake. Another form of idolatry within religious communities turns spiritual gifts and ministry success into a counterfeit God, right? So there's one, one, like, one like avenue that's it's all about my doctrine, right? There's another, there's another circle within the religious community where it's all about the spiritual gifts, right? And that becomes idolatrous just as much. Instead of the gifts being used to accomplish God's will and point people to the resurrected Jesus, they begin to worship the gifts that were meant to have you worship the king. And he said that can become idolatrous just as much. Another kind of religious idolatry has to do with moral living itself, right? I'm better than everybody else. Thank God I'm not like other men. Remember Jesus using this as a parable. Thank God that I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all that I get. You know what I mean? As opposed to the one who came before God beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Though we may give lip service to Jesus as our example and inspiration, we are still looking to ourselves and our own moral striving for salvation, making an idol out of doctrinal accuracy, ministry success, or moral rectitude leads to constant internal conflict, arrogance, and self-righteousness and oppression of those whose views differ. When God's saying, I'm turning you from idolatry to the living and true God, he's turning us from things even like this, people, an idolatry in these things to the living and true God through his word, a dependency, a dependence rather, on him in prayer. He's saying this is how you live for him. And when you have a proper perspective that it's Jesus and Jesus alone, his death, burial, and resurrection, and coming to him in repentance and wholehearted devotion, right? He said repent and believe the good news. As we come to him in repentance, meaning you can repent today if you've been on the wrong side of the aisle. Good news, right? And Jesus will receive you. If you've not been a man or a woman of faith, he said, faith is here for you today. You can trust him today. Come to him today. 
And he says, as you turn to him, turning from these idols to the living and true God, you can have confidence that you're saved from the wrath to come. And let me tell you something. When I'm reminded that not only has he saved me, but that there's a wrath to come, when it costs me something to obey, I'm happy to do so. I'm happy to do so. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever have like teeth gritting obedience before doing what you had to do just because you knew there was a consequence you didn't want on the other side? That's why we all have parents, right? That's why we all grew up in homes where there was some form of discipline, right? Because there were some times that I did not do things just because I didn't want to face my father, right? No, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's sort of like, you know, I want to, this feels good, but I got to go home to dad, right? In the same way, we're all going to face him one day. And he's saying, listen, I want you to face me with the grace and peace that are yours in Christ Jesus. But in the midst of it, in the midst of it, in the midst of it, hold on to that hope and get perspective, get perspective that will hold you. Last quote, and then we're done. I like how uh, Timothy Keller like, basically describes this perspective that we can have in him when we're established and firm in his love for us. He says this, have you heard God's blessing in your inmost being? Are the words, you are my beloved child in whom I delight, an endless source of joy and strength? He's saying, is this your perspective? <clears throat> have you sensed through the Holy Spirit, God's speaking to you. That blessing, the blessing through the Spirit that is ours through Christ is what Jacob received, and it is the only remedy against idolatry. Meaning God's acceptance of us through Jesus Christ is our only remedy against idolatry. Meaning he so fills us that we don't have room for the rest. His approval, his um, salvation, his satisfaction in him fills us so much that it displaces and pushes out that which would compete for it. You're going to be filled with something. That's why he says be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. He says only that blessing makes idols unnecessary. As with Jacob, we usually discover this only after a life of looking for blessings in all the wrong places. It often takes an experience of crippling weakness for us to finally discover it. That is why so many of the most God-blessed people limp as they dance for joy. (laughs) They limp as they dance for joy. Because God allows them to go for searching after all the wrong things and finally says, enough. And the hip's wrenched. And it's like, but for the grace of God. <laughs> but for the grace of God, I'd go the way of all the earth into his wrath. But he's rescued me. He's saved me. He's loved me. He's delivered me. He's called me his own. And now I have room. I don't want, I don't have room for anything else. I don't want anything else. And why do I feed on him daily? Because he's my joy and my delight. And that joy is my strength. And God almighty is worthy of this type of devotion, worthy of this type of sacrifice, this type of praise. It's all based on the passion 
and the perspective that he gives you when you've encountered the living God. This is what Paul started with in this letter and said after three weeks' time, we only scratch the surface. And there's a whole lot more that I want to explain to you. I want to teach you about this Jesus. But I'm telling you, it's grace and peace and yours are yours in abundance. But let's get conviction. Let's get the Holy Spirit. Let's get the things that are going to keep you in the eternal hope that he has for you in him. In Jesus' name. Amen? All right, let's have the worship team come on up.